it if I think Steve and his the past couple of years had kind of made it clear what the, the vision and the goals were for the Mets, the World Series being certainly the goal. Now, you coming in in the first year, what, what's your vision of a, of a successful year uh, for the Mets and for what you guys are trying to accomplish? Look, the, the vision that Steve laid out at the front end of his ownership tenure here is still very much the vision of this organization. We expect ourselves, and our fan base certainly expects us, to be a championship-caliber organization. Um, that is success uh, for our organization. Um, and, and that's the, the bar that we're going to measure ourselves against. Well, manufacture may not be the right word, but how do you maybe foster optimism going into this season uh, coming off of what happened last year? It's, it's fascinating. Like, I, don't, I don't feel like... I need to foster it. Like I, I think the players feel it. And and as I talked to our players throughout the offseason, really from the moment I took the job, um, they wanted me to know how good they think the team is. Um, they they wanted me to know that they didn't think the way 23 played out was indicative of the talent level on the team. Um, and so I, I think that optimism is going to exist. I think those guys uh, and we as an organization have a belief in the talent that's in that room. Carlos, Mets fans are dying to win. Do you share their passion? Of course. You know, uh, I know what I signed up for. You know, I've been, I've been in New York for the past six years, and I know the expectations here, and it's not different, right? Uh, they're dying. We want to win as, as much as uh, as they want to, you know. And and, and but we understand. We'll you know is uh, we're building that foundation starting today, and that's going to be the message. You know, uh, we're not winning a championship on day one, and we got to make sure we prepare. We got to make sure we we build those relationships, and then then we start connecting. Uh, but yeah, understanding that. There's high expectations here in New York, and, and they want to win, and we want to win as well. Yesterday, David mentioned that the Mets were a championship-caliber team. Do you agree? And if so, what makes this team championship-caliber? Uh, we got a lot of talent in this room. You know, uh, We are excited about the players that we got, uh, not only the established players that, that they've been here and had success, uh, but the younger players as well. We got a lot of that. And, yeah, I mean, look, it's New York, right? Uh, and every time you, you're in the arena and you're competing, you want to win. And uh, understanding that, you know, we got work to do. Uh, um, but that's what we're, that's our goal. And those are our expectations. But uh, we really feel good about our group, our t- you know, our team. And there's a lot of talent. And, and they're hungry. They're hungry. So. All right, we're back. Hungry players. You heard Carlos Mendoza. You heard David Stearns about the 2024 Mets Hungry players, maybe some with a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. That's always a good place to be uh, as an organization, especially when you feel that you underachieved and uh, you have a lot of disappointed fans, pundits that, uh, you know, a year ago at this time we were talking championship, trying to, you know, figure out how this team could take a 100-win season, leverage it, and get to the next level, and and everything went up in, in flames especially with the starting pitching pretty quick. Um, but, you know, just to look at where this organization is at, like I've said, um, you're getting to know a lot of things here. Stearns, Stearns' philosophy, Stearns' style. He's been open about it. He's talked about it. You go all the way back to the GM meetings in November. Everything he he laid out for how he was going to approach the job has 
come to fruition. You know, disappointment, of course, that they didn't get everything done like Yamamoto, but, you know, that's never a guarantee. Uh, you know, Mendoza, you're learning this manager. I was against the Buck firing, but obviously, you know, Stearns wants his own guy. Buck was doing his uh, radio tour a couple of weeks ago. I thought he was a gentleman as always. Uh, I know there was some made out about him talking about analytics and the lineup card and how I guess he was told somebody hit a couple of doubles and a triple and he ran a lot. They wanted to bench him. But I heard him on with Brandon Tierney and Salicott, and he wasn't very negative about analytics. He was just talking about more of where the game is at in terms of looking at sports and science and uh, some of the things that you may need to use some common sense on, you know, because the data says you should rest. The player doesn't want to rest or they feel they're in a groove. Maybe they don't rest. So we'll see how Mendoza can blend the two. I know that even Zach Scott, former Mets GM, was on X talking about how, you know, I've never handed a lineup card to a manager. I've given them information. You know, Buck talked about how he had decision-making in the lineup card. The difference is the lineup card is not just the manager sitting in his office making it out. There's a lot of stakeholders in that. There's a lot of information. It's a lot more nuanced than it used to be when Billy Martin did it or Davey Johnson did it back in the day. So, But when you hear Mendoza, the first thing is the manager. You guys who are longtime listeners know exactly what we believe in managers here at Talking Mets. You know, they got to run the clubhouse. They got to manage the front office. They got to manage the media. They got to manage the bullpen. Simple. I mean, not complicated, hard, but simple. I think everything else is white noise. And what you've heard from Mendoza, whether it be his interviews with the media, Steve Serby did a little... Q&A with him at the post and that was pretty good or his interview with the the press uh, that you saw some of the clips and heard the clip coming in you know he's talked about communication connectivity learning about each other but he kept talking about communication and connection because Mendoza correctly knows that the only way he's going to be successful is if he understands his players and he's able to work with them on obviously you have to build that covenant what is the standards here what is the expectations here? You know, he's also talked about pre- preparation and fundamentals and all the things that you heard Buck talk about. And and a lot of managers talk about that, but we'll see if he can actually execute it and, and, and play it out. One of the things that Buck was really good at while they were trying to weather tough times, Buck was really good at schmoozing with the media, whether he'd be talking about pop culture or, you know, some kind of goofy non sequitur. I think there was a certain disarming of Buck even when things were bad, even when he made controversial decisions. He 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 handled those well. And that's where the relationship with the media could go sideways because if you take a situation where you're getting uh, questions, you know, under the light like a detective, you know, the media likes to be a detective sometimes with the manager, especially after a tough loss, a tough road trip. Maybe you made a decision that they don't agree with, the fans don't agree with. You know, everybody knows that Facebook and X and you know Instagram and all social media outlets, they're the uh, the judge, the jurors, and the jailers of whatever you know needs to be uh, you know debated or whatever arbitration needs to happen when it comes to sports or other things. And how you answer that will depend on how long the story persists, how long the the negativity persists. And I think it was Trevor May that's talked about that now that he's out of the game and he's doing his own you know, media, independent media projects, that negativity is something that the players could feel and and and, and will feed off of in, in a bad way. So how he handles all that, keeps these guys, you know, blocking out the peripheral 
distractions, keeping them focused on the task at hand, let, not letting them get absorbed by the negativity of New York. Because, look, Stearns expects to win. Mendoza expects to win. They don't care that Brandon Tierney and Salicata don't think they're good. They don't care what Mike Silva thinks about them. They don't care what Joel Sherman and John Heyman think about them. They don't care what the Fangraph standings thinks about them. They don't care what ESPN prognosticators care about them or SNY or Gary, Keith, and Ron. What they care about is that they believe they can win. They believe that they're better than the 2023 record. They believe that the guys that came in can help be part of a a team that could compete to make the playoffs and win a title. They're setting the bar at the bare minimum of, of what a good team should do, and we'll see where it goes. They're not putting their chips all to set of the table with bombastic predictions. They're saying, you know, we're a good team. You know, we think that we can be competitive and get into the tournament, and when we're there, we can make some noise. And baseball, more and more, whether you're the Atlanta Braves or the Yankees or, you know, one of these in-the-muck teams like the Mets will probably be with a wild card, that's what the game has become. It's become a tournament uh, a tournament championship. You have the regular season, which is still harder to make the playoffs than maybe the uh, the NHL and the NBA. Maybe it's become more like the NFL in a lot of ways. And uh, then you have the postseason, where just because you're a good regular season team, are you a good tournament team? And those are not necessarily uh, the same. And I think the Atlanta Braves have shown that. And at times in the last decade or so the Yankees have at times so we'll see so really right now we're learning a lot about Mendoza it's it's pretty basic nothing's changed about what makes a successful manager Mendoza's talking about all the things that you heard a Buck Showalter talk about a Mickey Calloway talk about a Luis Rojas talk about uh can he execute it can't you know and, and one of the one of the biggest things I I took away is that he continues to talk about what he learned from a Dusty Baker, who I have gained a tremendous amount of respect for over the last five years or so. You know, I used to say Dusty's an overrated manager. He hurt pitchers. His teams always fell short. But everywhere he went, especially in it, what really amazed me is when he took over the Nats after they had had that disappointing finish against the Mets the prior year when the Mets went to the World Series. Immediately, the Nats regained who they were. Uh, he goes to Houston in the face of all those challenges with the sign stealing and negativity they continue to be a top contending team won a title nearly won two under dusty and if mendoza could pick up because he was a player who played under dusty in spring training anything a gleaned any a percentage of dusty into his repertoire as a manager the mets are in good hands i could tell you that so you know i, I think the mets are a uh, certainly a team that uh, can compete for a playoff spot, be in the muck. We'll see uh, how poised they are to be, you know, a solid playoff team versus a team that's going to need some reinforcements to, you know, make it. Uh, it's really going to be interesting because uh, I, I just, there's so much that you don't know about this uh, this organization right now. We're really learning. I know you guys don't always like to hear uh, the getting to know you phase, but we're truly learning what this team is all about. Now, when you look at the positional battles, unless the Mets are going to be bringing in some veterans and things of that nature, and they started to do that with Choi and Luke Voigt, really on the positional side, uh, there's a couple of things to take a look at on the positional side. 
I think your starting lineup is pretty much set with the exception of designated hitter. Bader's going to be in center. Brent Nimmo's going to be left. Marte, the, some of the best news all spring came earlier today with Starling Marte saying the groin's not an issue. He's moving well. He's ready to return to form. That would be huge. That is a huge bump to the offense. And we've done our own using Fangraph's projections, our own feeling about the offense. And depending on how some of these guys play out with reasonable production, the Mets might have a decent offense. They may have an offense that returns. They're not perfect, and they'll have some brownouts. But I think it's an offense that could look more like 2022 than the offense that was uh, around in 2023. So, you know, right now on the offensive side, it's pretty set. But what will be interesting is the backup catcher spot. I know Navarez has a contract. I, I'm surprised he's still around. I thought the Mets would have traded that contract. Maybe strong spring they will to a team that needs a catcher and use Nito who has a more reasonable deal and is a more of a catch-and-throw guy as a backup depending on how his eye situation works. So that's something to look at this spring. They are not they don't have a tremendous amount of depth at catcher, so maybe that I'm, I'm, I'm wrong on that. But I think spending, you know, seven or eight million dollars on a Narvaez to be the backup when clearly you have your long term solution and Alvarez and Nito could be, uh, you know, that kind of good defensive backup. Maybe they like the offense a little bit better from Narvaez uh, and, and maybe they feel he could return to the form that he was prior to the last couple of years. And then really now, you know, I thought DJ Stewart was pretty much not a shoe in, but very likely. But with Choi now in the mix, with Voight potentially being in the mix, uh, you know, who knows if they, you know, one of the non-roster invitees push him like uh, a Trace Thompson or a Taylor Colway, you know, as, a, as another outfield option. We'll see. I think DJ Stewart, who had a really nice August, um, but needs to prove that that wasn't just uh, magic beans and pixie dust, has to prove himself. And he had a really good spring last year, if you remember. I think he even hit for the cycle uh, in one game. He's going to have to prove himself. So those are some guys to watch this spring. Now, the pitching, I think you're question will be and one of the things to watch will be your depth now great article over at the athletic by tim Britton and will sound do great work about breaking down really in-depth breaking down of and a hybrid model of you know some days you push senga and members of the staff to an extra day of rest uh the mets are going to need about 16 starts outside of their Top five now, which I'm going to project as Senga, Quintana, Manaya, Severino, and Hauser. I think because Hauser has the best track record out of all the depth here. He's got a better track record than Lucchese, McGill, and Buto. Peterson's a non-factor because he's not going to be around till midseason. He's on the disabled uh, in the injured list, with recovering from the hernia. The kids like Vasil and Hamill and Scott, you know, they'll get a chance to show their wares this spring. I don't think they come north with the club at all. I think that they're going to have to show. And Stern said this. There's nothing about the data, the stats of the actual outcomes in spring training they're going to go by. They're going to go by process. And I think it'd be hard for those kids, short of a mass wave of injuries, to make it north of the club. They want them to get down to AAA, show that they're ready to be an option. And it could be as early as April, depending on injuries and weather and whatnot, that they get their shot. So we'll see about that. But I think knowing that they're going to need space in the rotation, would a Lucchese make it out of the bullpen? And that's where this gets interesting because you've got Diaz, you got Adovino, you got Rayleigh, you got Diekman, you got Jorge Lopez, you got Drew Smith, you got uh, Fujinami, who has options, and you have Phil Bickford. Now, maybe Bickford's a guy that, you know, making not a lot of money and he doesn't make the team. You have some guys like um, Sean Reed Foley, who has no waivers, uh, who has no more options. 
uh, you know, and things like that. There's not a lot, you know, Max Kranich, Johan Ramirez, guys who are going to have to clear waivers to go down. So you don't have a lot of space to add another starter. Now, Fujinami has options, but the real question is going to be, I think, out of the guys you heard, unless somebody completely bombs this spring, a Lopez bombs this spring, or Bickford bombs this spring, you say, look, I'm just going to... And, they, you know, Lopez is making a couple million bucks. I don't think they're going to walk away from him. Bickford is is someone I could see maybe they walk away from and, and, and get out of that. Um, you know, will they bring the extra starter north? Or will Fujinami kind of become... I know they, don't, they brought him in to be out of the bullpen, but did they bring him in to be an opener? That's the real question I have. Because you could option him down when you need the extra starter. And you have some options on the starting uh, situation with uh, Lucchese, McGill, Budo. So you have some flexibility there. Um, Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And do you use Fujinami as an optional piece, even if he's pitching well? Or do you use him as an opener? Or do you keep Fujinami and maybe move a Lucchese, uh, who seems you know could be in that Trevor Williams role? Or do you see out of the Hauser, Lucchese, McGill... Who needs? Who's more equipped to be in that uncertain role that a Trevor Williams did a couple of years ago, and who's better served? So that's where I think we got to watch, not so much for results, but where the dialogue and the conversation goes with Mendoza and Stearns. What are they looking for? Because you really don't have a lot of options. You really don't have room for Lucchese, McGill, or or Buda. You have room maybe one. I'm assuming that Senga's healthy, Quintana's healthy, Manaya's healthy, Severino's healthy, Hauser's healthy. That's what I'm assuming. And then you don't have anybody with options in the bullpen other than Fujinami. That's changed since they signed Diekman and Fujinami late in the offseason. So, you know, we're going to be looking at that and going to be seeing where that goes. I'm very interested to see how Tyler Morgill and Jose Buto uh, perform. I think that they're going to be important depth pieces. I mean, think about it. Uh, the Mets took four-fifths of their rotation that they had at the end of 23. And I wrote about this over at Beyond the Mic. Uh, they were one of the top starting staffs in September. Even though Senga didn't have his best month, they were one of the top starting staff. So you're taking depth that was, and again, September is September. We know that. That was really good in September. And you're making them six, seven, eight, nine. So that's how you win. That's how you, you, know, you don't have the Jared Eikhoffs or the wave the white flag bullpen games. When you're short, you have good quality, optionable depth. It's good to have options, but quality depth with options, that's a whole nother story. So I'm really interested about the, uh, the 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 depth pieces on the starting rotation, how they're going to work in that extra starter about whether it's going to be guys, sh- you know, shuttling from AAA and up. I know there's, only, there's some limits to that now. One of the things I've always said, you better make sure the guy who's being shuttled up and down could handle that lifestyle chaos. In Toledo one day, at City Field the next, for a week or two, back down to the minors, back down to the bad food and the crappy hotels and the bus rides and all the other stuff. So you got to really look about that. Now, one of the biggest things I'd like to see this spring 
is the baby Mets. I really am curious about Vientos and, and Beatty. Particularly, yes, Beatty's offense wasn't good. But if you told me to that, what am I more confident about him figuring out at the big league level? The Offensively, I think he'll figure it out to be something. You know, a guy with pop, maybe not a high average, but I don't think he's going to be an automatic out like he was at times throughout last year. I don't know if he'll figure it out defensively. I don't know if he has the footwork, maybe his size, he's miscast. The biggest red flag with me with Beatty is how he continued to talk about the game being fast on him, lack of focus, really, really big red flags. Now, Eric Chavez coming back as the hitting coach, and I mean, he was team last year, but being in that role, maybe there's more one-on-one time. There's a guy, great guy to move uh, forward with and learn from, gold glove third baseman. You know, a guy that, that had to work to, to to build himself up. He's talked about some of his early struggles as a big league ball player. So there's a lot of connection there. Beatty working with Lindor. By the way, Lindor, the more you see of him, you know, the leadership, the calm that he brings, not only as a spokesman for the team, but working with young players like Vientos, like Beatty, um, like Acuna, and, and so on and so forth. So it'll be interesting because Acuna's in big league camp. And, you know, we don't talk about him in terms of third base. If Mauricio were around, I think the conversation would be much more interesting third base. I think Mauricio would be the guy that would more likely win it. But um, will Kuna ever be that option at third? We'll see. It looks like they're going to keep him up the middle and what have you. And then Vientos. I mean, I don't think Vientos is an option at third. But if his defense in the gap with the work that he's done, if he kind of closes the gap where it's a somewhat negligible between him and Beatty. Because it's not like Beatty's a great defensive player. Maybe he wins the third base job. We keep putting him in as a DH. Everybody projects him as a DH. Guy's working hard, and he hits the ball hard. There's metrics that show he's uh, you know, right there with Pete in terms of hitting the ball hard uh, in the big leagues. You have to think that the hits will start to fall. He is going to strike out a lot. In today's day and age, that's not the end of the world. Uh, at the very least, can he hit left-handed pitching in a platoon spot? Can he platoon as a young player? That's tough. And, you know, you got Choi in here now. You got Stewart. So it's not like you have to com- completely rely on him at the at the DH spot. But I'll be looking at that and, and looking at and how interesting that is. And then finally, you know, we talked about him earlier, but the health of Marte. Not so much what his results are, the health of Marte. How he's moving, how he feels. Uh, you know, you got a couple more years left on the contract. He was a big part of the 2022 team. And uh, I think his decline because of health last year and his absence, not only on the field altogether, but his absence in, in his presence in the lineup, I think really downgraded the match. You have a healthy 2022 or hybrid version between historical Marte and 2022 in right field with Bader's defense in center with Nimmo on left. That changes the equation altogether because I think defensively that, you know, really is a decent outfield. Bader, I think, is going to, you know, make up for whatever deficiencies the other two guys have in the corners at that point. I know he's not going to hit. He's going to drive you nuts. But, um, you know, maybe he could pop some home runs, and, and who knows, you know, if he stays healthy at this point. So, you know, there's not a lot of positional battles really to be had. The starting pitching, yes, but I think if everybody's healthy, you're looking at whether you bring a guy north in terms of the swingman, not talking about anybody. St- I mean, maybe somebody could steal something from Hauser, depending on what goes on. I mean, but Severino's going to come north as a starter. Manaya, Quintana. I mean, other than injury, the bullpen set. Uh, you know, maybe Bickford is somebody that isn't set. Fujinami, 
I mean, he's making a lot of money, three million bucks. He's got an option if he comes here and can't throw strikes. Would you? Would they work on him in AAA or an extended spring? I mean, that's hard to 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 fathom. I don't think he would sign here unless he had some guarantees, you know, and things like that. And then, you know, like I said, the the catching situation a little bit less of a of a battle, but interesting that you know, will they go north with an expensive backup? But without injuries, or like I said in the prior segment, some kind of opportunistic signing like a Duval, like a J.D. Martinez, maybe a Gio Ursula, you know, Montgomery being, you know, stolen in March, who, if he's still out there. There's not a lot of positional battles. We're really just learning about who could contribute going forward. Acuna, Drew Gilbert, the kids, the Scots, and the Vazels and the Hamels. So that's another part of it. We're going to see these kids, and we're not going to really know because the results are not what it's about. It's more about what they see in terms of the scouting part of it, the process part of it, are they ready to contribute? You know, does Gilbert go and hit the you-know-what out of the ball in spring training, go down to AAA, similar to what Beatty did last year in the first couple of weeks, and Alvarez did, all of a sudden, middle of the April, you're like, I got to bring this guy up. And we'll figure out Marte, maybe Marte becomes, you know, maybe maybe you don't need to worry about the DH because if Gilbert comes up and takes over right field, Marte slides the DH, you know, because his health requires it. It's a moot point. So we're re- there's a lot of moving parts, but I think it's not something that will just manifest itself in spring training as positional battles. It's an ongoing thing the rest of the year. And I think part of why you don't see them signing a DH-only option like a J.D. Martinez or a Jorge Soler who got a three-year deal is because they want to maintain flex- flexibility for Acuna and Gilbert and maybe Marte being able to DH and Pete maybe able to DH and so on and so forth. They may have a bigger plan, which would require rest, getting them off the field, and so on and so forth. Uh, um, so that's really where we're at in terms of what to watch. Starting pitching, extra starter, how they handle the extra rest, and how that's going to be executed. Uh, minor positional battles out of the bullpen, which actually tie into the starting rotation. And then DJ Stewart and the veterans like Voigt and Choi, and, and you know maybe the backup situation. And just stay healthy. Get into spring training, get into Port St. Lucie, do your work, stay healthy. Just come out of this with the, the 40-man roster that we anticipate intact. And if I if you're a Talking Mets Beyond the Mic subscriber, if you go back back on February 10th, and uh, I, I did a, for paid subscribers, a roster prediction, uh, which discussed a lot of what we just talked about. So, so what's next for the show? What's next for the Talking Mets podcast? Well, Weekly Grapefruit Roundups, we'll be doing some of that on Beyond the Mic for paid subscribers as well as here. We'll try to get some commentary from those who are down in Port St. Lucie, Florida, covering the team. So we'll hope to have somebody, some of those guys there. And, you know, continuing to watch what's going on with this new front office, this new manager. Really get a feel as we get to know an organization, a manager, some guys who have something to prove, who are on short-term deals. It is one of the more interesting Mets seasons we've had in a while because it's got a lot of questions that need to be answered, a lot of storylines, a lot of things that could go really well, a lot of things that could go bad. I think some of that uneasiness is what's causing some fan anger because they like more certainty. And, of course, the shadow above all of this is Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso's contract, 
and we talked about that earlier. Hopefully, that's the end of it. If I'm Pete, I don't talk about it anymore because every time they start bringing it up when he has a good stretch, that's going to get annoying. You know what's going to happen with the media and Stearns. You know what's going to happen with uh, with Pete. Boris is going to have his silly press conference at some point, whether it be when he's in L.A. and the Mets are out there or at the All-Star break and the, at the All-Star game or you know maybe he's making a visit to City Field. But, you know, look, what really difference is what's going on with Pete than what happened with Brandon Nimmo? Different player. And if you really want to listen, Nimmo told you how going out and seeing what's out there helped to maybe, it was with John Joel Sherman and John Heyman, um, Nimmo talked about how going out there and seeing what else is out there versus the Mets helped him a little bit. Sometimes players want to do that. So anyway, that's all we have here. We kicked off pitchers and catchers. Next week at this time, we would have, ha- we would have had a game, an actually spring training game that doesn't count in the standings but counts towards the Grapefruit League. So sit back, relax. A lot more to come here on the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank all of you for tuning in to this latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Also on X at TalkingMetsNoG and on your favorite podcasting service, Apple, Spotify, whatever you desire. You want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Can't get enough of me. Between Monday and Saturday, go to the newsletter, substack.com slash at TalkingMetsNoG, $5 a month, discounts for signing up for the year. Check it out. It's well worth it. There's free trials galore over there. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank the good folks on the Fansided Podcasting Network for supporting this show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Kicking off the Grapefruit League has now happened. Baseball 2024 is here. Mets baseball is here. Till next time, take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.